Happy fifth. Celebrate who we are. That's what we're doing. And like I said, praise God. Pastor Insong has showed us many things and we're happy. And then we can evaluate where we are. You know, this is just the beginning. We, we can praise God for uh, what we see here right now. We can rejoice. But at the same time, we have to move to the next higher level, don't we? I mean, we cannot rest on our laurels, so to speak, but we have to continue to be aware of where God wants to bring us so that we can do something about it. Celebrate who we are, our reason for being. It's an opportunity for us to remind ourselves of who we are. Who are we? We are CCF, Christ Commission Fellowship. Do you know our CCF mission, guys? Okay, recite. See, that's why there were 200 of us here, two different, 200 different directions, okay? That's why it's good for us to remember what our mission is. CCF, this is our mission, to make Christ-committed followers who will make Christ-committed followers. Can we read that together, please? It's all about Matthew 28, 19 to 20. And I would like us to read it from this poster. Make go, therefore, make disciples. Christ Commission Fellowship. Five years ago, we committed to the Great Commission. And five years ago today, this is where we are. In the next 20 years, that's what's going to be who we are. Because that is Christ's marching orders to us. And that's what we will remain to be. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> what about the vision of CCF? You know, this is the vision that you will see in every webpage, website of CCF. And it's bigger than us because it's a God vision, okay? Look at the vision. To see a movement of millions of committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ meeting in small groups, transforming lives, families, communities, and nations. We're not there yet, but that's a vision. And the Bible says, where there's no vision, the people perish. And CCFLA, I want you to look forward and imagine this scenario. Millions of people following Jesus towards being like Christ. Can you imagine what kind of world that will be? Beautiful, isn't it? Millions of people are Christ-like, transformed in their lives, in their families, in their communities. This nation will change. This nation will change. Now next, evaluate where we are. How are we doing? Where are we now against our vision? You know, from, from worshiping in a house in West Covina to this centrally located building here in Pasadena. Give God the glory. Praise God for that. Come on, give God the glory. We were, I think we were just about 20 people, young and old. Today, we're almost 200 people, young, old, and so very old. 
We're getting older, but it's okay. And I praise God for our young people here who performed this morning, those little children. If our little children, if our little children can dance like that and sing like that, CCF's future is secured. Okay? Because we have leaders who, is, who are going to step up. Glory to God for all the lives that he transformed through CCF LA. We present some of them to you today. Today, you will hear some of them. And I think we have, how many sharers, Pastor Inchong? We will have three, okay? And I would like to first call on uh, Bobby and Ella. Listen to their stories, okay? Listen to their stories to see and to believe that God still is in the business of transforming lives. All right? Uh, good morning. My name is Bobby, and this is my wife, Ella. <laughs> I was outgoing, charismatic, and a good talker. I was a typical young man engaged in smoking, lying, being disrespectful, and lazy in studying, which I thought it were all normal. However, my bad habits came to a head uh, when some of my relatives blamed me for my father's death. I came home. I came home from sem the cemetery full of regrets and hatred towards myself. I locked myself in my room. And I told and I told myself and I I want to destroy my life. But I didn't want to die. Almost every night for three years I would woke up not remembering how I got home. I got deep in my alcohol and vices. I could get into myself. Hang out with hustlers, gamblers, drug addicts, hard killers, corrupt politicians, bad policemen, and exotic dancers. <laughs> the struggles within myself resulted to my disrespecting a lot of women by getting out of a relationship without caring about their feelings. In September 8, 1986, I arrived home from a whole day of drinking when my friend, Bong Saludo told me about Jesus Christ and that Jesus died on the cross for my forgiveness of my sin. I think I was still a bit drunk, but I asked Jesus to come into my life. As I headed home, I was crying very hard, but I was, ha I was happy because I felt clean for the first time in my life. I told my whole family about this good news and told them that tomorrow I would change. Of course, they did not believe me because I was drunk. <laughs> sure enough, no one, with no one discipled me, I was back to my old ways after six months. Eventually, I got back on track, but again, I would fall back into the same pattern again. This would happen for several months until I got involved in small church when I met my future wife, Ella. <laughs> Um, hi, good morning. I am Ella. I am the fourth child in the family of five. I grew up in a religious family. My father was a soldier in the military with a meager salary. 
He retired early and went into the private sector. When I was in fourth grade, my dad was diagnosed with a mental illness. During some of his episodes, we would wake up and would not know what to do. Some people were kind enough to help us, but there were also those who laughed at us and ridiculed us. My mom had to juggle work, caring for my father, and having to raise her five kids. I was always grateful for my mom's sacrifices. It was during that time that my eldest sister had a friend who shared Christ's love with me. I eventually came to know the Lord as my personal Lord and Savior. I became involved in a local Christian church where I met my husband, Bobby. <laughs> He's... <laughs> He seemed to be a promising and God-fearing man, so I entered into this relationship without my parents' approval. Um, they wanted me to finish college first, but I disobeyed them. We were already sleeping together even before ma we got married, and Ella was already pregnant with our son, Bien. During our wedding day, Ella took all possible steps to abort the baby, but every failed, uh, everything failed to work. What was worse is that I continued to attend church regularly as if we were doing was okay. When Ella became pregnant with Daniel, we tried to do the same thing again and abort Daniel. Again, again, other plans in both of ours. <laughs> ben and Daniel are here today with us. When my boys were about 10 years old, I told them that I did plan to kill them. <laughs> but they were saved by God. And in all, the first seven years, our marriage our only gay problems and headache and humiliation to Ella. My husband did not turn out to be what I expected. Together with the burden of an ailing father, I had a husband who would come home drunk, playing billiards and spending our rental money for his drinks, just to name a few. I had to borrow money from my mom, my sister, and even loan sharks just to make ends meet. There were days I wanted to get out of the marriage. I knelt down on my knees every morning to pray for my husband to change. But as I was asking the Lord to change him, God was changing me. In 2001, we arrived in the US and our future as a family was still very bleak. He was still smoking and drinking. I was in backyard in Rialto smoking my last cigarette. I just suddenly felt the great love of Jesus in my heart. I pleaded God to help me change my life for my wife especially for my two boys. I bought the Bible software and began uh, having Bible studies, praying and crying with my family. This time, the change was going to be for good. I chose to be true to my wife and to my boys, but most especially to God, who loved me in spite of all I had done. My husband is a much better man now. He is our spiritual leader in our home. He bought our kids their first Bibles and introduced them to Christian music. He, 
He supports their guitar and saxophone playing and their sports. A lot of times, he would just share jokes at their dinner table that would make us laugh so hard. We attended several churches uh, that time, but in 2013, we started attending CCFLA. I saw how happy and my family was with our new church. That I told my boys that it is our opportunity to serve the Lord as family. We were encouraged to attend discipleship group that the church had. We were hesitant at first due to because of the distance, but when my brother Nat and sister Raquel started Bible study in Corona, we could not say no and eventually open our home in Riverside to, about, to that Bible study. Nat and Raquel and their sons, San, son Paul, would spend relentless hours at 85 Degrees Bakery just to build a friendship and trust. There were only three couples at first, and we were only wanted to meet twice a month because there were times it would only be my family and Nat's family. Slowly, the group began to grow in number. People from CCF Manila who heard that there was a Bible study in Riverside began attending with us. They were mere observers at the start, but soon they were offering to help, bringing food, utensils, and even offered to help clean and wash the dishes after without anyone telling them. Today, the original three couples is now a 50-member discipleship group. The size has allowed the men, women, and young people to break out and have their own discussion groups after the study. Every Friday, the Bible study is held at our home. Is it burdensome? Yes. However, when everybody has gone home and we see what is happening in the lives of the people who attend, it becomes our encouragement. It is also a way that we can show to our two boys what it means to serve the Lord. Only God can do what he has done through sinners like us. To God alone be the glory. Iyakin ko na si Bobby, no? Our next sharer will be uh, Alex and Bonnet VR. God is powerful. Good afternoon, I'm Alex VR and this is my wife Bonnet. Hey, this may sound familiar to some of you. I used to think that I belonged to an exclusive club, being the firstborn of the firstborn of the firstborn of the firstborn in our family. It came with perks. There was this unwritten rule that I was somehow excused from, being, from doing chores and exempted from being held accountable for most of the wrongs I did. I actually do not remember being punished for anything that I had done wrong during my childhood. Maybe because I was really just a good kid growing up, <laughs> or at least that was what I made myself and everyone think around me. But somehow, even when I was still young, I have always felt this strong sense of responsibility. I eventually realized that the driving force of this sense of responsibility had been and often still is pride. The hard part was to understand that it is the wrong motivation. It was only a year, over a year ago when intentional discipleship made me accept this selfless humility and regarding others as more important than me are God's ways of being responsible. 
Bonnet and I began practicing intentional discipleship several months back. We were both hesitant at first, me more so than her. You see, intentional discipleship means you will have a discipler that will ask uncomfortable questions that require uncomfortable answers and will hold you accountable on those answers. You are expected to lay out your faults and follow their guidance and advice. We would be asked to read, study, memorize, and recite scriptures. My pride and sense of privacy would be violated. I was not sure if it was the right way to go through it, but it was actually pride that convinced me to try. I told myself, if people I respect seem to be convinced, happy, and would not stop harping about it, then I am sure I can do it too. I took it as a challenge. After several weeks of practicing it, granted we were not as consistent as we should have been, if I look back from when we started and how we are now, the changes are obvious. Bonnet and I are more patient and tolerant with each other. We are more successful in discerning which issues are serious enough to argue over and which issues are, can be considered as insignificant. All the while trying to keep in mind Philippians 2 verses 3 to 8, trying to be more Christ-like. We started to have nightly devotionals with our children. We stopped whatever we, we were doing, what we are doing. We let go of our iPads, iPods, Androids, computers, or TVs. Then we gather and read a story in the Bible, followed by a short prayer. The reward, day after day I am amazed, in awe, and always grateful at how God shows us his mercy and love by continually providing for us. Even when things do not go as we had planned, we remain faithful and thankful to him for getting us through them. Um, I was first introduced to intentional discipleship during the early 90s in CCF Manila. I was a new follower of Christ, fresh out of college, and just started working in um, catering sales. I was grateful and blessed to have mentored to have been mentored at a critical phase in my life. Unfortunately, the discipleship lasted just a few months because I had to migrate to the US. When I settled in California, I found myself searching for a home church and ended up attending a 3,000 member church in Pasadena, not far from here. The church taught sound biblical doctrine. They had several ministries and small groups, but I never got around to joining one. Sadly, because I was not fully committed to God, did not fully understand the gospel, and had no accountability. I became a Sunday Christian, and my faith became lukewarm. Fast forward to 2012. God led Alex and I to CCFLA. I felt like I was back home. I truly missed the biblical teaching of CCF and the fellowship with other believers. The Lord eventually opened the door for intentional discipleship with Pastor Danny and Grace. I must admit, the accountability was uncomfortable in the beginning. I was now married and had three school-age children. There was so much more drama in my life, I was not sure I could bear them all in front of Alex, even more so with Danny and Grace. Months went by and the concept of biblical discipleship stated in Matthew 28 and Christ-likeness described in Philippians 2 sunk in. There's a perception that accountability is policing and intrusive. If no one asks and answers the hard questions in your life, in my case, marriage and parenting, then who will? Yahoo, the ladies from The View, no wonder the world is in moral decline. I'm grateful to have our disciples who model Christ's likeness and point us back to the word of God. 
It is my prayer that I too will make my own disciples starting with my children and eventually whoever the Lord leads us to disciple. You see the pattern? Um, Bobby and Ella were shared the gospel, they were evangelized, and they were changed. The same thing happened to Alex and Bonnet, and being saved is not enough. You have to grow and mature. And they talked about intentional discipleship and how that changed their lives. Now I'm going to call a man who's been through the first, the second, and now he's into the third. And you will hear about what that third is all about. Ike, Ike de Leon. Good morning. My name is Ike De Leon. Sometime in 1996, the brother of my brother-in-law, who happened to be a pastor, shared with me about what God had laid upon his heart to share with me. It was at that time that he told me how much God loved me and how Jesus died on the cross to pay, to pay for all my sins. It was also at that time that I opened my heart to Jesus and accepted him into my life as my personal savior. Due to the busyness of my career and my own ambitions, however, that relationship was set on the side. It was only during the last recession years, beginning in 2008, when my family went through a big crisis that I remembered God again and cried out to him to keep my family intact. In 2012, we lost our house to a short sale, and much worse, I almost lost my wife twice in the same year due to sickness. By God's amazing grace, God answered my prayers, and my wife is still here with us today. In January 2013, we began attending CCFLA. This is where our spiritual life began and continues to grow. We learned so many lessons from the Bible studies, but it was not until we became a discipleship group that we learned to apply the truths we had learned. Our life as a family began to be blessed. My relationship with my wife greatly improved as well, as well as my relationship with our two daughters, Monica and Emma. Two years since that family crisis happened, we now still have our jobs, and we could still put food on the table. And as God continues to bless even our careers, we thought it was time to invest in a new home. The difference this time is that we involved God in each and every step of the way. God directed us to a Christian realtor broker who showed us a home that my entire family agreed was the one for us. Our history of a short sale limited the number of banks willing to finance us. For the first time, now in my mortgage application, I felt convicted to mention that unlike before, now it is God who is in control of our lives. I have never, as a banker myself in the Philippines for many years, included or referred to God in any financial documents. Well, we got approved for a mortgage 
at an interest rate that we never thought we'd get. The following day, our realtor invited us to view a home in Fullerton. As God would have it, the listing agents showed up unexpected, and as we were able to explain our motivations for buying a house, that same night, we had a contract. From that point on, it was not smooth sailing, however. One delay after another plagued the process and stress began to creep into our lives one, once again. Fights would erupt and there were times that we had to remind ourselves of our faith in God, that if God wanted us to acquire the house, it will come to pass. We just needed to humble ourselves before God again and ask for his grace and mercy throughout the process. There were tremendous odds against us because there were at least two other, other buyers with much better financial position, one even willing to pay cash. Yet the owner chose us over the other buyers. I can only say that this was God's favor and protection that allowed us to close the deal. Despite the delays and stresses we encountered, we finally moved into our house on April 1st this year. Today, that house is being used for a weekly Bible study that I and several of our spiritual brothers and sisters started. Our discipleship group meeting sometimes takes place there and lately even our young adults had the opportunity to have their own discipleship meeting there. How true indeed are the words in Psalm 127 verse 1 and it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Our names may appear in documents as legal owners of our properties, but in the end, we really are just stewards of everything we own, including our lives. For the true foundation of our home is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Now, is God still in the business of transforming lives? Yes. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. Yes. yes. Give God the glory. Okay? We will pray for them later. You know, clearly Jesus is building up CCFLA. And we want to be grateful to God and God alone for that. And, um, and clearly, he's doing something very, very encouraging in our midst. So, now, moving up to the next level. First, let us look at two things. We're here, and we're going to the next level. Let's look at two things so that we will be sober in our approach as we look forward to where we are going to bring CCFLA. Number one, what are we up against so as not to underestimate or overestimate the challenges ahead of us. Is that fair? Because if we underestimate, we might be complacent. If we overestimate, we might be so fearful and not move and be paralyzed to be where we are. There are challenges ahead, so that's the first one. The second one is, more importantly, is know our resources and our directives. The first, 
So, CCFLA, what are we up against as we grow our disciple-making movement? I want to share with you a video, okay? A video, and I hope the, 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 the tracks will be clear. It's a video from Bill O'Reilly, and it's very recent. Um, this happened only uh, a few, few months back. And I would like to share this with you to show you what we are facing. On the religious front, another poll very provocative. According to a Pew Research study of more than 35,000 American adults, Christianity's on the decline. 2007, 78.4% of Americans described themselves as Christian. Last year, 214. That number drops to 70.6%. Among the non-Christian face, Jewish Americans up slightly, Muslims up half a percentage point to just under 1% of the population. However, the biggest growing segment of religion, those who reject it. Atheists, agnostic, nothing, up 50% to 22.8% of the population now. So what's happening? There's no question that people of faith are being marginalized by a secular media and pernicious entertainment. The rap industry, for example, often glorifies depraved behavior and that sinks into the minds of some young people, the group that is most likely to reject religion. Also, many movies and TV shows promote non-traditional values. Truth is, if you are a person of faith, the media generally thinks you are a loon. The prevailing wisdom, especially among young Americans, is whatever is good for me, good period. The overall good be damned. That is current events, and that's what we're facing today. What's really, really, really scary is this. Americans with no religious affiliation. You know, you will see different ages there from 20, 2007 to 2014. In just seven years, you will see the numbers just keep going up. In other words, in every age segment, the number of people who do not have anything to do with faith or believe in anything is increasing. What does that tell you? People are giving up religion. People are giving up faith. And really, really, I really praise God for CCFLA because, you know, we, we are so focused on passing on the faith that we learned from the people who discipled us to one another and to our children. And like I said, here in CCF, we have one of the strongest group of young people who are committed to become Christ-like, and praise God for that. And I hope that they do not contribute to these numbers. And as I look at the leaders of the young people, these numbers are what we're facing. And it's really going to be dangerous if we don't address it. What else? Look at this. Post-Christian. You know what post-Christian means? Christianity used to be the major influence in culture, in society, in life, in America. Today, that's no longer true. 37% of Americans are post-Christians, meaning they no longer subscribe to Christianity as the most influential factor that will drive their lives and their future. That is in 2013. In 2015, look at the jump. It's now 44%. And do you think it's going to go down as the years go by? I don't think so. I think post-Christianity is a trend. And this is something that we ought to face squarely and be realistic. If we are going to go to the next level, we have to be very, very aware of what we are up 
against. Barna, top 15 post-Christian cities. I just wanted to show this to you. Top 15 post-Christian cities. The West Coast is also fairly well represented among the top 15 cities. With San Francisco, California, climbing up to the number one position from sixth place in 2013 to the top. In other words, the post-Christians in San Francisco, I'm not surprised, is 66% of the people. And look at Los Angeles, guys. We are very close. We're 54% post-Christians. And here we are. You know, I'm so happy that we're rejoicing and we're happy that God is really moving in CCF LA. But guys, let's sober up. There are certain factors that we are facing that if we do not address them squarely, we are going to be shipwrecked as well. And that's why this morning, I would like to talk about that reality. Facts we see today say that Christianity's influence is dwindling. Ouch. I will repeat that. I am not being emotional, nor am I finding fault. I'm just being factual. Factual. The facts we see today show that Christianity's influence is dwindling. Can you say amen to that or you are not believing it? You are scared too, right? As I'm scared. The fact is Christianity is declining. Right? Not in CCF, but overall, we have an issue to face. Christian churches are shrinking and some even dying. Many vacant buildings for sale and for lease. This is an example. This was sold and we're using it and we're looking for a place and there are so many vacant buildings out there that we can find. They used to be vibrant churches. Now you tell me, what's happening? That's not supposed to happen, right? Christianity is supposed to be flourishing, growing, vibrant, because this is God's work, right? How come? Why? It's not supposed to happen. Because in Matthew 16, 13 to 7, we see a promise of God that I would like us to re that I would like us to remember, that I would like us to see once again, so that we reconcile this promise of God and what's happening to the church today. Declining. In Matthew 16, 13 to 7, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, Who do you say I am? Wow, what a good question, huh? And then immediately Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Berjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. After hearing this, this is what Jesus declared. This is what Jesus declared. I also say to you that you are Peter, 
And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I like that, don't you? Jesus promised it to his disciples. Then, how come? How come the decline of Christianity and the struggle of churches to grow? Did Jesus not promise that he will build this church? Reconcile that for me, please. Something is wrong here. There seems to be a disconnect. If Jesus promised to his disciples that he's going to build this church, then Pastor Danny, how come Christianity as a whole, except CCF, okay, are struggling? Is that reason for us to rejoice, although God is building and at work here in this place? Sober up, folks. We have a bigger issue to address. How come? You see, let me explain. There's a condition for Jesus to build this church. The church is called the ecclesia. You know what the ecclesia means? The gathering of the called ones. Jesus calls people to become part of his gathering, the church. They are a group of people with certain qualifications. Right? So the promise of Jesus that he will build his ecclesia has a condition. The church must be those who are called out. They are called out and they are not just anybody or everybody. Do you see many churches today going up? Many different names? You see, that's okay. For as long as they are the called out of Jesus, then the promise of Jesus that he will build this church will happen. So, if the churches are declining, what can you conclude? They are not the people called out by Jesus. Or they are not meeting the qualifications that Jesus required. Does that make sense to you? I can see some people nodding, but some of you are sleeping. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? They are the people who actually live out the faith they declared. Whoa! You know, Jesus says, I will build my church to the people who declared their faith. Really? Yeah. Faith declared? What do you mean? Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, is? Remember, this promise was preceded by this question. What was the question? Who do you say the Son of Man is? And then he said, who do you say I am? And then the declaration of faith. They declared this. And when Jesus heard this, he gave the promise. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Peter. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. After verifying that, what did Jesus say? I also say this to you. You are Peter, meaning our small rock. And upon this rock, Petra, Jesus, the foundation, the cornerstone, the living stone, he will build his church. Do you see the condition? He just doesn't give this promise to anyone. 
He gave this promise of building up a church to a group of people who are called out. They declare their faith that they what? They believe in Jesus as the son of the living God and also the Messiah. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind because that is supremely important. How should the called out behave? If you are called out, how should you behave based on their faith declaration? Like they are not just saved. Bobby was not just saved. He was saved. He changed. He could not even, he could not even express the wrong things he did. But when he realized that Jesus is the Son of God, the living God, and the Messiah, he changed. And he lived like the called out, together with Ella. Alex and Bonnet, Ike. And I know there's many of us, same stories. We are the called out because we are not just saved, but we know, we love, we follow and obey Jesus to be like him. You understand what I'm saying? The called out are Christ-like people. They become saved, but they keep on growing and becoming Christ-like. And to those people, the promise of Jesus is what? I will build my church. Amen. So, if the church is not being built, what's the reason? Jesus is not building the church. If the churches are dying and the churches are vacant, Jesus is not there. Do you hear me? Jesus is not building his church because the people who are there, sad to say, may not be the called out. Now, is it important for the church to grow? Yes or no? Yes. Is it important that CCF will become millions after so many years? Yes or no? Yes. You know why? Because if we're only 100 and Los Angeles is 25 million, how on earth can we impact the city? Tell me. Impossible. You're dreaming. But if we are going to impact this city, if we're going to transform lives, families, nations, we have to start here. And we have to grow and grow and grow, not because we're doing it ourselves, but because Jesus is building the church. Amen? Amen. And there's a requirement for that. We are to act like called out. We are to act like the people who have declared their faith in Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the living God who changed us and we are becoming like him. If we stop doing that, Jesus stops building. Painful, but true. Because that church that's not growing, the called out are not truly called out because they are not Christ-like in their living. They're not growing. Remember what, what Bonnet said? She said that for a while she was a Sunday Christian. Sunday Christian. What does that mean? Christian on Sundays only. Right? There's even a term that Pastor In Song invented. Uh, Christmas and Easter Christians. They're only going to church on Easter and Christmas. Guys, come on. If we call ourselves Christians, and then we're Sunday Christians, 
Don't expect Jesus to become part of that. He's not going to build his church. Now, why do we want the church to be built? Because we're facing a situation where we are going to be obliterated and post-Christianity will overcome us and God help us. I think we need to do something about it. That church does not actually know Jesus as their Lord to follow and obey him. I am I'm stepping on, on thin ice here and I am going to put myself out on a limb. There are so many people who call themselves Christians, but I'm, sure, I'm not sure they are. They, they call themselves after Christ, but they don't live like Christ. Are they Christians? I'm not sure. I'm not going to judge. But Jesus is clear. If you are called out, I'll be with you, and I will build your church. If Jesus is not doing the building up of the church, then, like it or not, that church is open to the attack of Satan and the gates of hell are prevailing upon it. <laughs> right? Because Jesus said, if I build a church, I will build a church and the gates of hell is not going to prevail upon it. Why are they closing? Why are they splitting? Why are they dividing? Why is there fighting in their midst? Because Satan is devouring them. And it's sobering, isn't it? And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because I want us to be aware of it as we go to the next level. I'm excited about the future for CCFLA. Really, I'm excited. But at the same time, I want us to be sober on what we're facing. Because if we don't address this issue, God help us. We may become part of the problem. The called out are powerless against their enemies, flesh, world, and Satan. They become like the world as they blend into the world, becoming deeply selfish and proud. I don't know with you, Bonnet. If Bonnet probably continued being a Sunday Christian all over, up to now, I think the world will overcome you and you will become a post-Christian yourself. Yes or no? It's going to happen to all of us if we're not careful. That's why we're committed to disciple one another so that we grow and to behave like the cold once called by God. The called out then become bad witnesses for Christ, discrediting Christ. Contra Acts 1.8. What did Jesus say in Christ in, in Acts 1.8? You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the parts of the earth. How can you be a good witness if you are not Christ-like? That's why so many young people no longer want to become part of the church because they don't see Christ in the church today. Sad, but true. Sobering, yes, but we need to hear this. Otherwise, we will just be like everyone else. Bottom line, gospel sharing fails, Christianity gets a black eye, and thus the growth of post-Christianity, as I've shown you with the statistics. Those are facts. I'm not inventing them. CCFLA, I want to ask you a question. Do you want to be a church that Jesus will continue to build? Oh, man. There's got to be some fi more fire there, okay? CCFLA, do you like to grow? Okay, that's better. To become a major influence here in this city, 
in this state and in this nation that you began to love. We have to move up to the next level of build up that our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ can and will do for us. First, let us look at two things. Number one, what we're up against. You know that already. It's tough. Number two, this is where the message begins. Okay? Our resources. Our resources and our directives. CCFLA, I want you to know that our resources are one another, committed follower of Christ, building one another, and more importantly, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Nothing else matters. Jesus Christ, our resources. All we need to know now are what our directives from the builder Jesus is. What is he telling us? What is he directing us to do so that we will be able to see and be, the, be part of the privilege of being in a growing church that he's building up? If we, the called out, start doing our directives to be the authentic called out that we ought to be, then I'm sure we will surely win the war against the enemies. Today he's winning the battles. But you know, the war has been won by Christ. But we are still in this battle that we're facing today. And you can either be part of the losing battle or become part of the winning battle and win the war. CCFLA, we want to become part of the winning, of winning the battle where we are, where God planted us. And that's what we will continue to represent and what we will, what we will continue to do. Winning and building starts here. Say that to each other. Winning and building starts here. Winning and building starts here. Stop our blindness. We're blind? Yes. Our blindness to the dangers around us. The culture is against us. The trends are against us. Open your eyes. You have to do something about it. Number two, open your eyes to our poor Christian witness. We are not as Christ-like as we ought to be to impact this world. Now, that's painful. But you see, many of us, if we're asked, are you okay? Are you Christ-like? I'm fine. You know, but it takes others to tell you if you really are fine. That's why you need intentional discipleship and accountability in groups to be able to tell you how you really look like. Because if you don't look like Christ, then you don't look like Christ. And it's going to be a bad, bad witness. The first thing that you have to do is to kill pride. We talked about that last week, right? Killing pride. Killing pride because it kills you. Those of you who are not here, I'm going to quickly go through it. But the first step that you ought to do, okay, to stop the blindness and to start winning and building is kill pride in you. Because if you don't kill pride, it will kill you. Number two, the positive one, cultivate humility, Christ-likeness. Cultivate. How do you cultivate? How many of you are gardeners here, right? You know, you, 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 put, you plant it, you water it, you put fertilizer, and then you watch it grow and you even talk to it. Right, Butch? Right? You know, I think a Butch was planted by Tess. And Tess a butch is growing. Okay, as you can see. Okay? And Tess is watering Butch every day. Okay? Cultivating humility. Cultivating humility. Directive number one, kill pride. And we talked about this last week. Kill it or it will kill you. Directive number two, which is what I, want, I will talk about today, is what? Be humble. Stay humble. Say that to each other. 
Be humble, stay humble. That's the second directive. The first one is killing pride, which is reactive. And the other one is what? Proactive. Be humble, stay humble. Be humble, stay humble. How? By casting, I like this, by casting all our anxieties to God who cares for us. He's called out. If you are not the called out, I'm sorry. Sorry. You cannot cast your cares upon God because he doesn't listen with your sins still there. But if you are the called out, your sins are forgiven and he listens to you and he cares for you. And all of your anxieties you can cast to him. So, killing pride. Pride leads to a hard fall and eventual destruction. We, talk, we, we, we talked about this last week. We said, uh, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil of the proud. God hates the proud. Pride makes God your arch enemy. You know, find another enemy except God, please. Because if your enemy is God, you're, you're hopeless. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. I talked about this last week and I'm going fast. God greatly hates the proud. Pride makes God your arch enemy. Psalm 10, 3 to 4. For the wicked boasts of, his, boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. And all he says is this, there is no God. You know if you're proud, you reject God. That's why we ask you, kill pride. Kill pride. Directive number two, be humble, stay humble. This is how we ought to live so Christ will continue to build us, CCFLA. And I would like to refer a passage in 1 Peter that you're very familiar with, but not quite deep. And I'm going to unpack that quickly so that you will see how essential humility is in the Christian life. And that's why we want you to be humble and stay humble. Let's read this together, shall we? 1 Peter 5, 5 to 7. You younger men... Because he cares for you. Here's the call of God for his people to become humble. Three times in just three verses, he said, be humble. He was so repetitive about the need for the Christians to be humble. Younger men, younger men, look at you. I'm not talking to you, uh, Ulrich, okay? <laughs> younger men, okay? You know who you are. Be subject to your elders. What do you call that? Humility. Be under the leadership of people who are older than you. Younger men. And then, all of you. Now, it's all of us. Clothe yourself with humility. Why? Because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then in verse 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, humble yourself. Three times in just two verses. How important is that? To me, humility is essential to being a Christian. It is what distinguishes you to be a Christian. If you see a Christian who is proud, nah, doesn't match. And if you're proud still and you call yourself a Christian, there is something wrong. Because Jesus 
The standard of Jesus for Christianity is humility. It is the mark of a true Christian. Humility clearly defines or sets the Christian apart from the rest. No surprise then that God gives us so much incentives to be humble. God is opposed to the proud. And he gives so many rewards and incentives and blessings just to make you humble. Because it's important to him. And it's important to all of us to realize that. Incentives to be humble. Number one, God is opposed to the proud. Isn't that an incentive? <laughs> right? If God is opposed to the proud, we cannot afford to have Almighty God opposing us. Can you? The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who made you, you're trying to oppose, you're trying to, to fight him, there's no way you can win. Right, Dr. Medwin? No way. Don't be proud. Be humble, period. Number two, God gives grace to the humble. What's grace? Favor upon favor upon favor that you do not deserve. And he gives it to whom? To the humble. To me. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wish I can say I, I'm humble. As I stand before you, I struggle. But I, the more I know about how, how God wants us to be humble, the more I'm praying to God to break me because I don't like to fight him. And I like him to give me favors upon favors for my family, for my children, for CCFLA, and for the world. If it's going to be just me, it won't do any good. But if it's going to be collectively all of us, it will make a lot of difference. God gives grace to the humble. Being humble is not performance to earn grace. You know, I will be humble now. I'll be humble now. I'll be humble now because I want the grace. No, it's not. It's not, it doesn't work like that. Uh, actually, being humble is a state of emptiness. God can see whether you really are full of yourself or you are empty of yourself. If you're empty of yourself, you can acknowledge to God, God, I'm here. I can't do it. I want to follow you. I want to obey you, but I can't do it. Versus, Lord, leave me alone. I got it all figured. I can handle this. Which do you think God will bless? The one where you are empty. It's not performance. I want to be humble because I want to. No, no, no. It's being empty. And knowing who you are versus who God is. That's what humility is. That's why in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How humble are we? Number three, incentive. God's mighty hand will exalt the humble. How mighty is God's hand? Can he lift all of us with just one finger? Yes. And I would like you to see that. The mighty hand of God. What does that mean? He can do it. Will he do it? If you're humble. But if you're not humble, he will put you down. This same mighty hand 
that can destroy you is the same mighty hand that can lift you. Humble or proud? Fourth incentive. God's mighty hand will take care of the humble. Meaning what? Whatever you need. Whatever you want. However you want it. Wherever you are right now. If God knows you're humble and you know if you're humble, he will meet your needs. And in case you're wondering, how come, pastor, I've been here and I've been a Christian for a long time and I've been praying for so many things. I'm okay, but there are certain things that I want, but God is not giving it to me. Hello? Maybe you are still proud. Maybe it's about time to ask yourself, if you're humble. Humble ba ako? Hindi daw, hindi daw. No, ask the person who knows you very well. Ask your wife. Ask her. Ask him. And don't fight, okay? Because you will discover, ay, ang yabang mo. God's almighty hand will fix all the anxieties and the concerns of the humble, but never of the proud. I will repeat, never of the proud. Because pride is sin, and God has nothing to do with sin, period. That's why he loves the proud. How then can we be humble and stay humble? Very simple. Cultivate humility. How to cultivate humility to deepen its roots, not only in our minds, but our hearts. First, know exactly how pride looks like. We took a look at this last week, and I will quickly review it. Just mention it so that when you see it, stop it, kill it, destroy it, and replace it with what? The opposite. Know how pride looks like and do exactly the opposite, right? Because if you do the opposite, you're working and cultivating on humility. For example, pride is self-righteous and unforgiving. Yeah? Pride is discriminating and racist. Pride is defensive and illogical. Alam mo, pag, pag mayabang ka, napaka-illogical mo. Ang guwapo ko, hindi, hindi ka guwapo. Ang guwapo ko, pasta. Right? <laughs> pride is jealous and treacherous. Pride is insensitive and aloof. So, what do you do? Do the opposite. Pride is self-righteous and unforgiving. Pride is self-reliant and, and, and self-satisfied. In number one, what do you do? Be understanding. Yield. Forgive. Give the others the upper hand. Don't feel bad. What about, what about this? If you are discriminating and a racist, be fair. Be just. If you are defensive, be open to criticism and, and, and be logical. You know, many times you see yourself as 95% uh, uh, right, the other person is 95% right, but you don't still give in. <laughs> right? Because you're illogical and you're not open to criticism. You know, Pastor, but can you preach? Haba, haba. Excuse me, ah, and dami kung gusto sabihin, no? Alas dosi na, Pastor. Be trusting and loyal. Pride is insensitive and aloof. Be sensitive and be encouraging. Do the opposite. Is self-reliant and self-satisfied. Be a team player and accept help. 
Di ba? Ang ganda. So, again, pride is rebellious, ignores commands, envious and demanding attention, controlling and territorial. Pride is self-glorification, grabbing glory away from others and from God. So what do you do? Be submissive and obedient. Be content with what you have. Don't be envious. Be understanding and tolerant of others. They are not perfect just as you are not perfect. Why don't you understand them? You know, if your children are not perfect, the reason that why they're not perfect is because of you. They got their genes from you. Okay? So you have to understand. Pride is self-glorification. Be lavish in giving praises and credit to others and to God. That's being humble. Do the opposite. That's how you stay humble. That's how you become humble. Pride is so ugly and humility is lovely. Say amen to that. Okay, number two. Don't be anxious at all by casting to God all your anxiety. Is that okay? How do you cultivate? How do you, be, how do you become humble and stay humble? Don't be anxious at all by casting to God all of your anxiety. We see that in 1 Peter 5 to 6. You know, 5, 6, sorry, uh, 6 and 7 particularly is actually one sentence. Verse 6, Therefore, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. How? How do you humble yourself? According to verse 6. Verse 7 tells you by casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, verse 6 and 7 is an example of a subordinate clause in the Bible. Meaning, if you want this, do this. Example, if you want to be polite in your eating, you should close your mouth as you chew your food. Okay? If you chew your food like this, you know, you're not polite. So, if you want to eat properly, close your mouth when you chew. That's a subordinate clause. If you want to drive well, open your eyes. Right? So, if you want to be humble, what is God saying? Cast all of your anxieties to him. Because the more you cast to God all of your concerns, it's proof positive that you are humble. You will never become humble if you don't cast your cares upon God. Why? Because you don't need God. And that's pride. Because you don't need God. Question, what are you anxious about today? Are you anxious about something today? I look at you in the eye and ask you this question. Are you anxious? Finances? Your job? Your mortgage? Your retirement? The education of your children? Are you still worried about this? What about physical? You sick? Are you healthy? Are you not growing like me? What's so funny? Social. Are you anxious socially? Meaning you have strained relationships with your spouse, with your children, with your family, with your peers, with your neighbors. Are you anxious? I know you have all the anxieties because we're human, but we just don't want to admit it for fear that people will what? See us as weak. See us as losers. What is that? 
What about legacy? Are you anxious about your life purpose? What you want to be remembered for? You know, recently, my peers and I had an outing. All of us are in our 60s. We got together because most of us were retired. And you know, I was looking at my classmates and I, I see in their eyes fear. They are retiring. They were holding significant positions in the past. But now that they're retiring, they don't know what the future looks like. What is your life after work? Is there a sense in your life? Will your life count at the end of the day? What will people say about you? What do you want to be remembered for? That's anxiety, isn't it? Spiritual. Relationship with God. Your eternal destiny. Your issues. Question. Can the Almighty God fix your anxieties? He is mighty. He can fix the anxieties. If he can fix the anxiety, then what's stopping you from casting them to God? Your pride. Here's, here's what it is. Your pride is stopping you. And it is what makes you not care that God cares for you. This is deep. You know, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't need God. Maybe when I'm really, really down there at the bottom is when I will call on God. What do you call that? Pride. You know, it is what makes you not care that God cares for you. I don't care. I can still handle it. Pride tells you that you do not need God and that you can take care of yourself. Oh, we are in the land of the plenty. We're in America. I think we should pray for the people in the Philippines only because they are needing of care of God. Here, we're okay. In fact, we're sending money to the Philippines and we're helping. That's pride. God said, cast all. Because if you cast all of your cares to God, what does that tell you? You're telling God, God, I can't figure this out. I have nothing. I'm nobody. That's why I want you to know all the things that I am worried about. And because you care for me, I know you will fix it. Isn't that liberating? But it is the one that will make us so humble. In your pride, you don't care nor believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of the living God. Honestly, you call yourself a Christian and yet you don't cast all of your cares to God? You're not humble. God is telling you to cast all of your cares because as you cast all of your cares to God, you're actually declaring Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the living God. That's how simple the logic is. Be humble. Be humble. Be humble. Be humble by believing that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of the living God. Like the Apostle Peter and the other disciples, you have to see and believe that Jesus is your Savior. That's just the beginning. And then you have to see that he is the Lord of all of your life. Right, Mike? Mike? Okay. Mike, he calls the shots. You don't. 
The sooner you realize that, the more you will cast all of your cares to him. And the more humble you will be. The one who does not, to the one who does not yet believe in Jesus today, if you're here and you've been invited and you actually do not believe in Jesus as the Messiah yet because your anxiety is about your future, I'm not even sure if I'm going to heaven. I'm not even sure if I want this Christian stuff. I'm not even sure if I want to become part of this. Maybe, maybe I want to become part of the post-Christians. Maybe I, I want to become part of the unaffiliated. You know what? Good luck. If you're here and you don't know and you don't believe in Jesus yet as the Messiah, I want you to know that you and I are sinners. We are proud at our basic core. We are sinners. Your pride may not accept that, but God says you are because of God's high standards. Whether you see yourself as a sinner or not doesn't matter. What matters is God sees you as a sinner for as long as you do not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Does that include you and me? Yes. For those of you who don't know Jesus yet, this is for you. Who don't believe in Jesus yet, this is for you. You have to realize that you're a sinner and you fall short of God's glorious ideal, which is you humble and Christ-like. Worse, sin is a penalty. You know, it's so easy to say, oh, I'm a sinner like everyone else. You should take a look at my neighbor, look at my wife, look at my, you know, you can take a look at everybody. They're all sinners. And you will justify that it's good to be sinners. No, not good. Because sin has a penalty. What is the penalty of sin? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You know, when you are proud, you are a sinner. And when you're a sinner, your, your penalty and what your due is, is death. Young people today, you know, you are probably just being brought by your, your parents here. They're dragging you here. And you actually just go with them. Okay, hello. Hi. Hi. You know, you're here probably just because your parents brought you here. But what's really important is you have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Because if you don't, you remain in your sins and the wages of sin is death. What kind of death? Revelations 21, it says, for the cowards who turn back from following me and those who are unfaithful to me and the corrupt and the murderers and the immoral and those conversing with demons and idol worshipers and all liars. Does that include you and me? Yes. Now, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus and you're a liar, your destiny is hell. Your destiny is hell, the second death. It's a place that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Lake of fire equals hell. But that doesn't seem fair, Pastor. Is there no big sin and small sin? Lying is such a small sin. I'm not a murderer. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Hitler. I'm only, I'm only a garden variety sinner. I just lie, no, but to God, there's no big sin and there's small, no small sin. And that's why you need to understand that truth. Because the moment you understand that truth, it will make you realize how much you need a savior. What is the conclusion? 
the conclusion is God, that's to God, there is no small sin and there's no big sin. The person who keeps every law of God but makes one little slip is just as guilty as the person who has broken every law there is. For the God who said you must not marry a woman who already has a husband also said you must not murder. So even though you have not broken the marriage laws by committing adultery but have murdered someone or have you have lied, then you have entirely broken God's law and stand utterly guilty before him. That's the standard of God. And if you don't know Jesus and you are a sinner, then it's time for you to believe in Jesus because he's the only one who can save you. Hell. The Bible says that all of us being liars are going to hell. Conclusion. We are hopeless because of our sin. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and you don't believe in Jesus, I want you to see how hopeless you are. That without Jesus, you have no recourse but to end up in hell. What can save you then? What can save you then? Only Jesus can solve your sin problem. What is sin? Pride. Only Jesus can solve your sin problem. <clears throat> Our sin problem must be solved, meaning it must be forgiven to avoid hell. The Bible says sin is forgiven only through one way. And this is what saved me, myself, almost 35 years ago when I heard the gospel. This is what I read. Hebrews 9.22. According to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now I understood why Jesus is important. Because Jesus died on that cross, shed his blood. No one else did that, did that except Jesus. And because the Bible says that, and now I understand that it is Jesus who suffered, who died, who was wronged when he was right, in his humility accepted everything to bleed for us so that our sins will be forgiven. And then he was nailed on that cross for you and me. Because without the shedding of blood, your sins will remain, my sins will remain. So if you want your sins to be removed, folks, I beg you, Make Jesus do it. Believe in him. That's why when Peter said, you are the Messiah, meaning what? You're the only one who can save us. He declared that. The disciples declared that. And then they added, you are the son of the living God. Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's like the apostle Peter. You have to believe that he is the Messiah, the Savior, and the son of the living God who can forgive your sins by his blood. Jesus is the only way to heaven. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This should make sense to you. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to know that God loves you and he wants you to believe in his son so that your sins will be forgiven, so that your pride will be removed, so that everything that you do will be clean as far as God is concerned, and he can flow grace upon grace to you and bring you to heaven and give you eternal life. I ask you this morning to do this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the benefit of those who are here and 
are just struggling with this idea of believing in Jesus as the Messiah, can I ask everyone to bow their heads right now? And if God is speaking to you, and, and you know that you need to cast your cares to God, but you can't because you are still a person who's proud, a person who's still in your sin. Like the Apostle Peter, God is telling you, believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And he wants you to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so that you will be saved. I want you to say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I confess my sins to you. And I cannot save myself because there's only one sin that I have to commit and I'm going to go to hell. So Lord, I believe in my heart that you are God. You were raised from the dead and I want to be saved. I want to be saved. Because Jesus, you're the only way to heaven. Amen. If you pray that prayer, you have started your journey towards becoming a humble person. You've made the first step. You've made the first step that you believe in Jesus as the Messiah. But there's a second step. You have to continue to treat him as your Lord. And when you do that, you will become and become humble as he wants you to do. And you can therefore cast your cares upon him. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name but Jesus under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So, be humble. Don't be proud and in humility believe in you, in him as your savior, and he will forgive your sins. Now, to those of us who, are already, who already believe in Jesus as the Messiah, there's many of us here, right? We already believe in Jesus. What do we want you to do? Be humble. Be humble. You need to humble yourself to make him the Lord of your life. You need to follow him, obey him, all that he commands as we see here in the Great Commission. Act as the called out. You are the called out. You are his chosen people to behave like Jesus. Stay humble. Stay humble. Claim his incentive for your humility that regards Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What do you do? Be rested. Cast your burdens and anxieties to Jesus. Take his yoke. And look at his promise. And I will end with this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and gentle of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Be rested. Cast your anxieties to God. Because he cares for you. The cold ones. Let's pray. Father. That was not an easy message, Lord, because it, it, it hits us right on the heart. But many times, Father, we need to hear messages like this. For us to be able to, to come to grips with what we're facing and who we really are. Father, thank you for, for really building up CCFLA to where it is today. But Lord, we know that we're facing odds and odds of difficulties and challenges that the enemy, the flesh, the world, and Satan throws at us. And Lord, if we don't know and become the kind of Christ-like person that we are, humble and not proud, you will not build our church. And so Lord, we, we bow before you, all of us who believe in your son, Jesus Christ.
we now make the commitment that aside from believing in you we would like to follow you obey you to be like your son Jesus humble and meek obedient to everything that the father does and when we do that father we will cast our cares upon you and we will feel good that we are a church that you've called and that you will build up glory to God and God alone in Jesus name we pray